My guest this week is Christina Kahn. She's a publisher, an editor, a writer, a podcaster, and an all-around great person. You're going to enjoy this conversation as we discuss the mindset that it takes to sell a million books, plus some of the pitfalls you find along the way if you set your goals inappropriately. So yes, we dive really deep into goal setting. I hope that's something you love because you're going to know a lot more about it when we're finished. Please enjoy my conversation with Christina Kahn. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. They mean? Right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I've been doing uh, YouTube shorts recently, and uh, I enjoy making them. I only make them if I feel totally inspired. I'm like, I have something yes. that I want to say. And yeah. I don't even necessarily use them to talk to writers. I mean, that's who I'm thinking of when I make the little the little 15 seconds, but I challenge myself. I'm not going to do 60 seconds. They're all going to have to be 15 second. Wow. Um, yeah, because I, I think that that's kind of the format I want to stick to there. So that's like back to the original days of TikTok. Where right. You had to say everything like so quickly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or make sure that what you were saying was really on point, that there was no fluff. And I yep. enjoy doing that because I like I like in this format with the podcast, there can be quite a bit of fluff. We can sort of ramble and see where a different path takes us. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I like the no fluff of a 15 second video and just committing to it and saying, this is the message I have. And it's that simple. It's that. Cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I'll have to look those yeah. up. Cause I, I, for some reason, just like completely have never gotten into YouTube at all. Like, I no. don't know. I just like, ne- unless somebody sends me a video for like a very specific reason, I just mm-hmm. never, never really use it. So I right. would like to start exploring it. So I think that your little videos are probably a good place to start. Oh, well, you know, I, I enjoy making them and I would, I would encourage you to try making them. I, I heard somebody that I admire the other day who is a killer good marketer say he thinks that uh, the future uh, wave is going to hit for YouTube shorts. He thinks it's going to be bigger than TikTok. In fact, um, he suggested, and I think he's right, that TikTok changed the their algorithm based on YouTube shorts. So now TikTok wow. is doing SEO. So TikTok used to not be SEO based and now it's SEO based just like the YouTube shorts. Yeah. So there's a, a pretty good opportunity, I think, to reach a new audience. And I don't know about you, but that is like my primary concern aside from creating the art is yeah, reaching reach. an audience. So yes. Yeah. Becky, shout out to Becky. Yeah, I just, I, I just finished reading her book like a week ago and I just find myself talking about it constantly without realizing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do too. I really like, um, I was so moved by her story about Lady Gaga and um, we discussed it when I had her on my show, although I have not put that episode out. I think it's coming out this Wednesday, which will be nice. a long time in the future for anybody else listening to this episode. But um, yeah, she she was a little bit surprised the direction that we took with the conversation about Lady Gaga, because, you know, she's so interested in kind of being famous to a few and that's Mm -hmm. her idea. And I think that she's really gone all in on 
the niche and being super generous to the people inside of her circle. And we've both experienced it. We're talking because of her. And I think that we've both been connected to somebody else outside of each other through her as well. She is an amazing web of a human being who's just yeah. like built this spider web of, of connections and and she she does not withhold so it's it's really been cool to run into her yeah um, tell absolutely. me quickly your story about how you guys met i've just honestly been a fan of becky's and her work for a really long time i genuinely don't remember how i came across her originally yeah. um i've been in the book industry for a while so there's a chance that she was working with an author whose book I had produced, but that doesn't feel quite right. So I'm not sure. I might've just heard of her podcast or her newsletter because I subscribe to both and I don't even know which one came first. Um, But it's been years that I've been following her work and um, just, you know, it's the kind of thing, like you said, famous to a few people where, you Mm -hmm. know, anything she produces now, I'm like, I, I would like to hear what she has to say. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about your thought process in terms of that that kind of scale of do you want to be famous to a few do you have dreams of being world famous what is what's the scale of which you want to have impact on people's lives or reach wow it's so hard because I I think it's about like balance it's about trying to do like both at the same time um at a lot of different phases in like a book's production um and marketing I think that it's a really good idea to like both have some like sure bets and also shoot for the stars at the same time. And so, and so like, I think that making sure you foster meaningful connections and provide meaningful content to the, you know, in the beginning, the small group of followers that you have is, um, is that's where a lot of your, that's where a lot of your marketing is going to like start in those like Mm -hmm. in your personal network and the people who have demonstrated that they are passionate about your work but I think it's also important to to kind of shoot for the stars and to spread your reach as far as you can and try to access new people and make new connections every day so it's really just about balance and putting your energy I think into both I don't think I don't think I've thought about it exactly that way before how do you find it's different what are what are the differences in your thought process when you're trying to reach new people versus going deeper with current, you know, connections. I think that the people you're already connected with, your network, it it can be so much um so much like more fun, I think maybe and like less stressful, less there's less pressure on those connections. You can just like really connect with them authentically and regularly in a way that should feel pretty natural to you. You know, the people that you um you know, mutually engage with on social media, the people in your own personal life's network, um, the people who have been on your email newsletter list for a long time, all those people, you know, you have some context for no, they know who you are through your work and possibly through other avenues. And you know who they are because they've been your follower for a long time. So you have some existing rapport um, that you can kind of go back to. You have, um, you know, conversational context with them. So you can chat about things you've chatted about before. You kind of know what they're into, the kinds of things they say. Whereas trying to make new connections is such a different beast because you have to be providing value um, in a in a catchy way to hook people's attention. And you have to do it in a much more generalized sort of way so that you are casting this wide net and hoping to to catch some new connections. 
Yeah. You recently started a podcast in June, if I am correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, I did. And so talk to me because one thing that has been true of me from the beginning of making my podcast, and honestly, I'm still very new at this as well. I, I started mine in January, but one of the things is a, the discovery process. What am I really talking about here? You know, I, I had this idea of what I was doing starting out and it morphed hugely into what it is now. And I feel really comfortable now with what I'm trying to accomplish through the podcast. And it gives me an idea of the type of people I hope are listening to the show and the people that I'm targeting. Yeah. With that in mind, talk to me about the, what you think of when you're making a podcast and how that is a discussion, who you're talking to, what's your mindset? Our entire target audience for uh, our company, Wildling Press, and our podcast is debut authors. A lot of the time, we really like working with debut authors. And really, our podcast is for people who are not even yet debut authors or just becoming debut authors. Mm -hmm. I personally stumbled into the publishing industry by way of always wanting to be a published author as a child. Um, and so when I was in high school and college, I did so much of my own research uh, about the book publishing industry. I did literally so much research and it still just is was certainly not enough until I personally worked in the industry for years and got an understanding mm. of how the industry works. Um, and I just think it shouldn't be that hard. You shouldn't have to work in publishing to understand how publishing works. Mm. And how are you going to get published if you don't have that understanding. So our main goal is always just to make the publishing industry as well as the you know marketing and writing. We kind of try to cover all of our bases as accessible as possible to as many people as possible even if they literally just woke up this morning and were like I think I might try writing a book. Awesome. So so that's how we just want everyone to feel welcome we don't want to use fancy jargon we just mm. we just want everyone to be able to like walk on in pick up wherever and feel comfortable learning with us so it's all about demystification making yeah it totally simple. i love that uh and there's part of me that thinks writers have to go through hell to get where they're going and even though it stinks they have to yeah, I mean, I think that writing a book is its own kind of hell, <laughs> yeah. um, especially since it's a safe, self-made hell. It's like at certain points mm. when you're literally just writing and revising your book, you're like, why did I do this? Why did I pick this mm. avenue? This is so hard. I just don't I don't think that any gatekeeping will benefit anyone in almost mm. any industry. I think that as much as we can demystify anything for everyone, uh, mm -hmm. especially in business, it can only lead to good things. You know, we're, we're all forced to live under capitalism. We're all forced mm. to earn money. We're all forced to sort of play this game. Um, you know, you can't just, I mean, you can, you can just write for the fun of it, but you won't sell books. If you want it to be your career, you have to do so many things correctly to, to put your path in the right trajectory that I think that if everyone has the tools to sort of make it from from ma finished manuscript to, you know, a book that sells well, th they deserve to have those tools. And that mm -hmm. way it, it kind of 
takes it back to the olden days when uh, if you have a good book, we'll, we'll give you the rest of the tools you need yeah. to, to make that book successful. Right. I love that point. It's um, the industry has changed in so many ways, but a, so much. a lot of authors are unwilling to see some of the ways that the industry has changed. And so uh, people are getting caught in the middle right now. Um, there's so many things you said that I want to touch on a couple before I lose my thought. Um, there is a, a magician named Jay Sankey. I think it's Jay Sankey. I'm sorry if it's not Sankey, um, but if you type magician Jay, you're going to find him. <laughs> he is an amazing illusionist and he does all of his work through uh, social media or a lot of his work through social media to bring people to him. And kind of his uh, motto is I can show you how I'm doing the magic trick and I can still astonish you. I can, I can show you what I'm doing and the mechanics of the, the coin vanish and you still won't see it when I do the trick. And it's true. I was unbelievably amazed by him because he's such a good magician that even after he showed how he did it, it amazed me. I, I went right back to believing in my brain that it was magic. That's what you were saying is let's give them authors all the tools they need to be successful. Because even when we demystify the whole process, unfortunately, hearing is the hardest part of what we're doing. You can, you can pipe podcasts. We were talking about that before we started recording. You can pipe podcasts into your ears all day long and still not hear it at like an action level where it's like, I know what to do, but I'm too scared to do it. With that in mind, um, you, you kind of walked into, or we started to talk about how things are changing. And I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest change right now that people are having a hard time wrapping their mind around with publishing? Wow. I'm so glad you asked this question because I have just such an easy answer for that. And I, I really think that the the biggest change in publishing that people are having the hardest time with is the the death of traditional book publishing. Um, obviously, traditional book contracts still exist, but they are so glamorized and independent publishing is so written off by such a such a majority, I think, of people in the industry that it can be really frustrating, first of all, to run an independent press um, who is just, you know, starting at the bottom and doing our best. Um, it can be really disheartening to hear people say things like, ew, no, like I'm looking for something better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like independent book publishing and independent authors and independent booksellers are absolutely the future of books. If otherwise everything's going to become Amazon. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of the big publishing houses are merging together. They're not special anymore. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not these Titans that we have to like submit to. We can do different. We can do better. And the only way to really keep moving the publishing industry and the books that we're producing into the future is by publishing and selling independently. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And I want to speak back to it and have a little bit of a conversation here, because again, this is a huge mindset thing. It all, it all gets wrapped up in, in the actions that we take. You are 100% correct in that the traditional publishing atmosphere is caving in on itself. The big five are likely soon to be the big four. There's already discussions about another one merging. So you're going to have the big four and then the big three, and one of them is going to crumble at that point. You know, and then you're going to have two. You're going to have two huge publishers who are trying to be, like you said, the Titans. 
um, and most of the books won't be able to come through them. You won't get variety, you won't get risk. So you have this independent publishing. Um, university presses are kind of cool in what they can do, but there's still a lot of gatekeeping going on. And then there's the world of self-publishing. Uh, and I'm really interested in self-publishing. I'm going to be self-publishing a nonfiction book here real shortly. And awesome. um, yeah, thanks. So I know that for this first book, the editing quality is going to be a little bit lower than I want it to be. And that's that's a decision that I've made because I know that the people who are going to be reading it aren't reading it to be wowed by my prose. They're reading it to get information just like this podcast, but in a different format and a little bit more coherent. What I am afraid for a lot of self-published authors is this idea that we're stuck with the mindset of big publishing. Oh, they're going to do all the editing for me. They're going to they're going to pay for the cover design for me. It's all free if you go through that that uh, channel. And people can't see the air quotes that I'm making around free. Mm-hmm. It's not actually free. And so if people aren't willing to open up their wallets and run their their self published book like a business, we're in trouble. And I'd like you to talk to that a little bit as well. Yeah, I think you know, when you said that traditional publishing is in air quotes free, that's one of those things that's followed up by, but at what cost? Right. Exactly. Yep. Traditional publishing will publish your book for free. Um, And, you know, like I'm not bashing traditional publishing wildly offers traditional publishing contracts, Mm -hmm. but we're, I think we're talking more about the big five right now. Um, It comes at the cost of you having any agency over your final book product whatsoever. You don't get to pick that cover that you don't have to pay for. You don't Mm -hmm. get to supervise that editing that you don't have to pay for. Mm -hmm. And so the flip side of that is that if you want ownership over your book, which I think you do, because why else would you have written it rather than just letting someone else write it? Mm -hmm. You need to be willing to invest so much time, money, and energy. It just takes those things to produce anything. You have to think about The industry as a whole, first of all, we have these smaller houses that are popping up more and more, and they're trying to do so much to uplift marginalized voices, um, to uh, support debut authors, to get new and unique stories out there. But their businesses, and uh, you know, when it comes down to it, their businesses they have to pay their bills and and pay their staff, so that they have to, especially since it's so so much smaller scale than the big five houses, um, they have to. They, they have to earn money. And so the flip side of that is that authors who are self-publishing need to be willing to, to pay for the services they need to yeah. produce their book. You know, you could design your book cover in Canva mm-hmm. and people do it all the time. But if you want a book that is professional looking, you need a professional designer to produce your cover. Yeah. That's just the way... That's just the way it is. Like if you want your roof to be professionally replaced, you need to hire a roofer. You you don't just do it yourself and hope that it doesn't leak. You're, and you're like, speaking, you're speaking to the, to the ultimate DIYers here. My wife and I have, have bought and sold rentals where we've done so much work, but you are correct. <laughs> I, 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 you should see all of the patchwork awful fixes that we've done. Well, I use that example. No, you're I use right. that example specifically <laughs> because my husband and I have been arguing about our DIY roof recently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. But, um, and like on top of that, if you're not a professional graphic designer, you don't know if that Canva graphic you produced is not up to industry standards, Mm -hmm. you don't have the eye, the professional eye to be like, this isn't quite good enough. Mm -hmm. So that's why you hire professionals. And it's just, if you 
have put so much time and mm -hmm. energy into producing your book, you need to also be willing to put time, energy, and sometimes, yes, mon money investments into getting it to mm -hmm. the finish line. Exactly. I'm really glad to hear your thoughts on that because I couldn't agree more. And I, I am always concerned when I hear debut authors talking about publishing their first book and thinking that they can get away with designing on Canva. Again, I want to be completely transparent. I designed my book cover on Canva. I know what I'm going after. I think that it is possible to do these things and sell a book at a high level because what comes in behind everything we're talking about is a massive marketing push. Uh, and if you, if you can push really hard at marketing your book, you can succeed. Not only can you succeed, you will. If you market really hard and you don't give up, you will succeed. That's one of those things we're talking about going back to piping a podcast into your ears. The only thing is inertia. Just keep going, keep going, keep going, grinding. When something doesn't work, feel free to change your strategy. You know, if you're trying to go into a house through a wall, eventually you're going to figure out that you have to find a door. <laughs> That's okay. But like, you still have to get inside the house. You can't just be like, well, apparently the house doesn't want me to come in. Right. <laughs> you know, the house has nothing to say about it. It's your tenacity. Um, so I, I do want to stick with your press because you said that you have a traditional route. Um, then I'm not going to read into to what you said, but then do you have a hybrid route as well, which it's kind of like a pay for services, but they keep the royalties or what, what else are you doing there? So I'm so glad you asked. Wildling has three publishing tracks. And I think that's like another great thing about independent book publishers is they can be flexible and meet you, you know, where your needs are. So we have our traditional publishing track, which we tend to reserve for experienced authors who are representing marginalized voices. Um, we really want to, you know, save our traditional investments for those stories that we think are going to make a great impact on the world and their readership. We also have our self-publishing route where you can pay us to produce your book, any old book, um, as long as it's not harmful or hateful, and um, we'll make it you know, that's a, a services rendered situation. We'll make it great. And then you can go leave with your book and like you're on your own. And then in the middle, we have what we call our emerging authors program, which is an educational hybrid program that we ask, ask authors to invest in, in order for them to receive education about writing and publishing and marketing. So that's for those authors who have a strong story, but maybe no semblance of a marketing plan. They need a mm -hmm. lot of guidance with marketing, or maybe their story is a really great concept, but their craft just needs a lot of refining. Um, so it's sort of a middle ground for those authors who have a lot of potential and are really eager to learn, but, but yeah, need that extra guidance. And now a word from one of my favorite podcasters. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Enjoy an episode of Star Trek and learn invaluable leadership lessons from Jeff Aiken. Thanks. Let's get you back to the show. I, I love that you have a program that focuses on both elements because I hear from a lot of authors who uh, are in the camp of, oh, um, my interest is in the art. And I'm going to be the best writer I can. And if I write an amazing book, it'll just sell, right? That's the magic of writing an amazing book. And we know that's not true. And then right. I do hear from other people who are super savvy with 
marketing and seem to disdain the idea of art. It's a weird kind of a, a character who writes a book, but thinks of it only as a product. Um, and I'm surprised by how many people seem to fit that niche. You're speaking to somebody who knows they need to do both things. Right. I right now I just finished drafting my nonfiction book about publishing, uh, publishing from start to finish. It's going to be awesome, which is coming yeah. out in 2023. But at the same time, I'm revising my novel, mm. which I hope to publish in the next couple of years as well. So it definitely is like two totally different kinds of writing, two totally different mindsets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, stopping real quick on the traditional publishing thing too, because I've mm -hmm. I've sort of left that piece hanging. I am pursuing traditional publishing with my novel um, for the very specific reason that traditional publishing still does have the caveat of opening certain doors for you that self-publishing mm -hmm. cannot. Um, and even smaller or hybrid presses or presses that are doing what your press is doing sometimes are, are kind of like pushed aside as not being taken as seriously as maybe they should be. Um, but if you want to do any kind of reading at a university, especially if it's a government funded university, you had better traditionally publish. And I do want to access that community because one of my passions is to speak to people going university track and be like, hey, great that you're getting this education. Wonderful mm -hmm. that you're learning the craft of writing, that you're taking it seriously. A, they're teaching you to write the least marketable genre, which is still my favorite genre to read, but I understand people don't buy it. And B, right. they will not speak a word to you about the publishing industry. You will learn how to do art and feel good about yourself and maybe a little bit about the tenacity of the craft, but nothing about how to sell it. And That's I want to so go true. in there. Yeah, I want to go in those doors and I want to talk to people who are going through the system and felt frustrated like I did that, hey, listen. It's great to market your book and you should think of it like a business. You know, the same stuff we always say, that's something I want to do. Um, I want to hear from you too. After you're done publishing, one of the gripes uh, that that people have about kind of the, the pay for the services process that you do is, oh, you know, it's, I'm getting scammed, right? They say, I'm getting scammed if I pay you for those services. Explain to me why they're not getting scammed and why it's the right choice for, for some authors to do. Wow. <laughs> that is like such a triggering phase phrase because like I've no. heard that so it's like a constant battle and this loops back to your question about like what's the biggest misconception in publishing right now is that like independent publishing is a scam which is like so rude and misinformed and like there are real passionate people behind these smaller houses who are so devoted to their authors and the work they produce that it's just truly so insulting to hear, oh, this is a scam mm -hmm. because we can't afford to publish 50 books for free every year. You know what I mean? Right. It's not a scam to be very transparent about charging people for services that you provide mm -hmm. to them. That is not a scam. A scam is like deceitful. Mm -hmm. So if we were like, Hoo-hoo, traditional publishing, and now you owe us $100,000. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a scam. Yep. But like, I sent we... this box of books to your house, and you have to pay for it now, or I'm suing you. <laughs> right. On our website, on our Emerging Authors Program application page, our hybrid track uh, application page, it says right on that page that authors are expected to invest in that program mm -hmm. and obviously with self when it comes to self-publishing we don't we're, we're not publishing your book under our imprint we don't have any reason 
besides the fact that you're paying us money to to provide those services to you. So yeah. it's just very hateful and small minded, I think, to to say that the the hybrid publishing track generally is a scam because mm. it is so not now that being said there are scams right yeah that's there what are i wanted people... to talk about is there's there's a blogger named shayla raquel I, I don't i think i'm pronouncing her name right she's a really cool blog and she is passionate about you know, uh, uncovering the scam of of uh, hybrid publishing or what used to be called vanity publishing and i right. think that she has some really good points so speak to that and I'll fill in if I feel like you're you didn't hit on any of the ones that I'm passionate about so talk to talk to why it's not a scam again and and you were going somewhere with that I interrupted you so <laughs> that is so okay um yeah it's just vanity publishing is different from hybrid hybrid publishing or it's a an avenue of hybrid publishing that we don't they're not all not all hybrid publishers are doing vanity publishing vanity publishing is when a publishing house will publish your book kind of no matter what and they will put their name on it so it appears as though you have earned the prestige of having your book published by a publishing house but they don't care about their content because they are charging you for their services Mm -hmm. That exists. That's a vanity press. And not all independent book publishers that have hybrid tracks are doing that. So a lot of independent publishers vet all of their submissions and they don't take on just any book to their hybrid publishing track. They only take on books they believe in, that they believe can be improved, um, that they really want to see in the world that they believe has a market out there. And so vanity presses are are out there and like depending on how transparently they market their services you know they could be some of them could be considered scams and it's just extremely unfortunate that that bad rap follows independent publishing that has ever once ever charged any author for a service Mm -hmm. that that stigma follows us around and we are right. we're constantly fighting it especially online when where people are so happy to say their opinions um without having really any understanding of our business or our staff or our authors or any of it right so this is this is one of the things there are two areas of any kind of hybrid publishing where i think you get into some sticky territory the first is if a if a hybrid publisher says that they're going to market you you have to ask the question why because I've already made my money as a, as a hybrid or vanity press the minute that I gave you the services and published the book. Now there's no more money in it for me because I'm not taking royalties if it's that kind of a contract. Okay, mm-hmm. I gave you all your services. I'm not going to do a minute more work for you because I get no money out of it. The only reason that they would benefit from doing that is if that publisher cared about their reputation. And typically right. the ones that are all mixed in, like you're saying, that are really uh, vanity presses, they don't care about their reputation because they're right. only going after a certain kind of writer who feels urgent and uh, desperate. That's right. their market. And so that's where you get this idea of predatory. The other area where I have some concerns with hybrid publishers, there's one I, I like, and I wish I could remember their name right now, but they published my friend, Danny Freeman. He wrote the book, uh, The UIC, and he was a guest on my podcast. I, I read his book. I reviewed it on Amazon. Um, he needed a little bit of developmental editing that he didn't get. 
the book, the story is really, really good. It could have been elevated to such a higher level with developmental editing. That's where traditional publishing still seems to have some sort of edge on us is now you already said you have a, a kind of the whole developmental process baked into your publisher. So I want to hear more about that and just your response to everything I just said. Because we are small and we have limited resources, we typically bring on, for us, it's a bit backwards. If we're bringing on a traditional project, that means it's pretty good. Yeah. That means that um, we don't have to do major plot and character and theme over, uh, uh, overhauls. Um, mm-hmm. It means we, if we're doing developmental editing, it's light. Um, or or the, the solution is incredibly clear from the get-go. Um, so when we come across a book that needs considerable developmental editing, that's when we offer them our educational track, the Emerging Author- Authors Program, because they they need help developing their craft of storytelling. That's really that's a really impressive track that you have. Um, the reason I stopped here, I, this this is less mindset than I typically talk about, but it's just you're the perfect person to have this discussion because we're stuck right now in this place where we're having a hard time defining what publishing is what, what are the things you need to be aware of depending on the track you go on. Because honestly, I would still tell some people go ahead and vanity publish if that's what you want to do. If I mean that's essentially that's what I'm doing. I am vanity publishing my book. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Would I do this for a novel? No, my reputation as a novelist is far too important for me to publish something without heavy editing and professional cover design and all that kind of stuff. But I don't care if people think I'm a crappy nonfiction writer, at least in terms of a business book, like (laughs) business books are, they're a tool that you use. They're not something that you read to enrich your, your, you know, prose or anything. So um, let's transition into the post publication moment when the book doesn't start to sell the way that we expect it to. What's the mindset? What should authors be thinking about at that moment where they're not having the results that they hoped for? I think that it goes back to that analogy you used earlier that I loved about if you're trying to walk into a house through the wall, it's not going to work and you need to do something different. So if you are discovering that you are not entering this house that you need to enter, you should try something different. Um, And so I think that if an author takes a look at their book sales a couple months or a year after their book has launched and they're they're not satisfied with the results, they need to try something new. Um, And, you know, I when authors ask me, like, how will I know if my book is successful, which pretty much every author I've ever talked to has asked me that question. And wow, they really want me to tell them a number. Right. They want Mm. me to be like, if you sell 1000 books in your first two Mm. months you're successful and that that's just not how success works um i think an an author and a book is successful if that author never stops working to Mm. to publicize their book and if if people never stop talking about that book as long Mm. as there's some inertia left in that book's marketing campaign as long as that author continues to try new things that's a successful book and that's a successful author i love that I, i i really like that idea I am, and I, I talked to Becky about this as well, one of the kind of people who um, has absurd goals. And so I do have numbers in mind. You know, I want to sell a million copies of my book. Uh, and I've recently been challenging myself to think not just a million copies of one book, but a million copies of every book. And that's an absurd mm-hmm. number of books. That's a stupid yes. number of books. Uh, the percent of authors who do that and authors that we adore don't sell a million mm-hmm. copies. So yeah. it's stupid. And I get that. I have no clue how to do it. I don't even have 
six figure downloads on my podcast. So why am I thinking I'm going to go for seven figure sales of a book? Uh, what do you think the pitfalls are of certain mindsets? Like you can, you can kind of nitpick at my mindset if you want versus, uh, having too small of goals as well. Like where, where do you think is the sweet spot? Wow. It's so hard to balance between those two things. Going back to like the difference between like, uh, shooting for the stars and, um, whatever the other phrase I used for that was, um, (laughs) I don't remember. Um, but you know, you, it's important to have like both in your head. You know, I would realistically like to make this many sales in the first year, but wouldn't it be amazing if I could really burst outside my box here and like, and like get this many in my first year, that would be really incredible. I think, um, a good method to take with this is like, is like stretch goals. You know, if you do some research about how, books in your genre and to, to your audience are sell. you know, how have those books been selling books like yours and create for yourself a very realistic target number based on that, maybe like slightly mm. aspirational. If everyone in your industry, you know, on average sells, uh, you know, like a thousand copies in the first six months, which is a totally random number, by the way, I'm just saying right, numbers. Yep. Um, then maybe you could aim for like 1200 or 1500 something within the scope of what seems to be realistic um but you know slightly aspirational and then if you hit that if you get past that thousand book threshold or that 1500 book threshold then you're saying then you can tell yourself okay and i i really want to hit 2000 by the end of the year yeah stuff like that i think those mini goals are so much more accessible. It, it kind of goes back to the, the snowball method of like paying mm-hmm. debt, I think is what it is. It's like, if you start with your smaller debts, you'll feel so good as you pay those off and it'll mm-hmm. make, make you more inspired to pay off the bigger debts. So if you start with smaller goals and you hit them, mm-hmm. wow, that feels awesome. And then you can keep increasing that number as much as you want. Yeah. I, I enjoy that. I like that process. I like having that, that huge goal in your mind of what you want to do. I like having small goals and stretch goals right behind my computer screen. Right now, I have the number of downloads I'm aiming for. That's a 10% increase on last month for my podcast. And then I right below that, I have the stretch goal. Um, so I want 10% is acceptable to me. Uh, I want 30% growth month over month on my podcast. Yeah. And that's how I measure success. I missed 10% last month. I'm going to blow 30% out of the water this month. And there were some strategies I took that I cannot talk about uh, <laughs> that have created some huge problems for me in really good way. I, I think I alluded to it in an email to you or somewhere that uh, I am booked on my calendar now through November because of what <laughs> I did. And so that's a really exciting problem to have. Can you talk to me at all about how you've actually been demotivated by hitting goals before? Um, I personally don't think I have been demotivated by hitting goals. Um, And maybe that's totally a me thing. Um, I mean, when you hit a goal, it's easy to be like, and we're done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's why you need to always have the next goal. But at the same time, if you fall into this pattern of like, hit a goal, take a break, work again toward the next goal, hit a goal, take a break. I really, um, you know, I do book marketing. We're talking about book sales right now, but I also, as you know, do a podcast and I yeah. run a, a lot of social media accounts. And so that's kind of like how the approach I use for podcast downloads and for social media following is like, is like, if I look at our social media, if I look at Wildlings Instagram account and we have, um, and we have like 940 followers, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit a thousand by the end of the week. 
I'm going to get out there and, and engage. I'm going to post some really exciting content. I'm going to find some interesting new people to follow. And I'm going to hit 1000 by the end of the week. Mm. And then once you hit that 1000 with maybe, you know, like five extra so that if people like unfollow you or their bots or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got a little yep. bit of a buffer, then you take a break, you know, and you, and you go back to your maintenance of like, posting mm. good content, you know, and then the, you, the next time you feel really inspired, if you have an amazing event coming up that you want to make sure gets blasted to a huge audience, if you're nearing another really crucial threshold, um, then maybe that's when you drive that up again. So I think just yeah. like anything else in life, you know, you, you push, 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 and then you rest and regroup. Yeah. There's something I have been, I'm conflicted right now. I have to change some of my behaviors if I want to have the kind of success that I obsess about all the time. Um, I move a lot faster than, than a lot of people around me. And I make people uncomfortable with it. Sometimes people are like, Hey, chill out. Um, <laughs> but then the moment, the moment where I feel tired, uh, it, it's like, it all goes down the drain. Um, I think I woke up in that kind of state of mind this morning. It was like, I've been pushing really, really hard. Now I'm scared of the next thing. The, the idea of rest is appealing to me. I'm not sure what I think of it. I, rest is a, is a strange thing. What's your relationship to rest in general? I mean, do you, are you really strong believer in like taking a day off a week or, or what are your thoughts there? I think you and I are very similar in that I too have a very hard time resting. Um, we were talking before we started recording about how it, I am always listening to podcasts, always trying to yes. ingest new information. I have so many different projects um that like rest for me means like I'm not gonna worry about this today but I'm gonna work on this other project mm -hmm. um so I think that rest is great uh and do as I say not as I do perhaps um but like for someone who's doing like a book marketing campaign which like campaign equals like the rest of your life that you want this book to be selling yeah um I think that like <clears throat> for people who who need rest, which, okay, which is everybody, it's important to like plan that rest. And like I said, like you go back it, it, rather than like resting, like dropping out of the public eye, like cannot be accessed on social media, not producing mm -hmm. any new content, not answering emails. What you do is you set up like a, a, a system for yourself. So you, you could, for example, use a social media scheduler, like um, Buffer or like Hootsuite or I'll, Forgot that I think Instagram and Twitter both have schedulers um, as well as Facebook now. You should check out, sorry to interrupt, Social Dog. Um, they're not even paying me to say this, although I have reached <laughs> out to them about affiliate relationship because they blow everybody out of the water. Social Dog is cool. amazing. Ooh, I'll um, look into that. They're really good. Yeah. So, but like if you are, are like so sick of being on social media, you really need a break, sit down for a couple of hours and schedule your month's worth of social media posts. And then you can take a break. You cannot really worry about social media other than every couple of days logging on to respond to comments or whatever. You can take the whole month off of worrying about producing social media content while you're resting. That's that's really fantastic. Okay, so I've already taken a little bit more of your time than I promised I would. I want to wrap things up by giving you the opportunity to pitch yourself in everything that you are doing right now. Don't don't feel like you have to pick a few. Just tell me everything that's going on with you, where people can find you, why they should love you. You know, make make much of yourself. 
Oh my God. Thank you so much. What like a beautiful encouragement, because as I mentioned, I do have literally so many projects. Um, So the first and most important is Wildling Press. We're an independent book publisher that, as you have heard, we uplift marginalized voices, we educate debut authors, and we also provide self-publishing and a la carte literary services. So kind of whatever you need. Uh, If it has to do with books, we can do it. We have a podcast, How Do I Book, that releases wherever pods are cast every Tuesday. Um, And you're actually going to be an upcoming guest on that. So I'm really excited for that episode. Um, And Becky Robinson as well is going to be an upcoming guest this fall on How Do I Book. So please check that out for, um, I think like a very bite-sized and like very like hyper-focused episodes. We always talk about like a very specific theme. and we post those on our blog as well. So if you're more of a visual learner, we do have uh, our blog also called How Do I Book? Um, and please also, it's super random, but if you're interested in um, really nerdy stuff like Harry Potter, Avatar The Last Airbender, P- Percy Jackson, I do have a podcast network called Deus Ex Media. Um, and we have um, five very nerdy, fun book podcasts awesome. that, um, that yeah, we'd love to share with everyone. I love it. All right. I will have links to all of that in my show notes. Uh, it was so much fun speaking with you, Christina. Yeah, you I, as well. I, I, I came in a little bit blind because I was busy hustling on some other things. And so I, I didn't know what to expect this morning. I'm cramming a little bit of study and um, you've surpassed all of my expectations. So um, I appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. And I do feel like we're a little bit of kindred spirits, just always hustling, you know, always working on something. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.